Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey folks, this is a special podcast for me because it was recorded with my friend Jay Byer uh, at the end of, you know, what up to this point uh, has been kind of like the most epic hunt that I've been on to date. Uh, I live in central Arkansas and almost all my hunting has been done here over the past year as Black Duck Revival has grown and different opportunities have uh, presented themselves to me. I've been able to go to, you know, a handful of states and try my hand waterfowling or turkey hunting, and in this case, elk hunting uh, in a place that was very different from what I'm used to. And uh, I mean, different elevation wise, different environment wise, and it was far away. You know, it took me two, three days of driving most of the day to get over there. And I was elk hunting up in the mountains, in the snow, uh, scanning and and glassing and looking for animals in a way that I'm not used to. And it kind of came at a very perfect moment in my life, I think, for this adventure. You know, I, I really needed a, a little bit of time to clear my head and kind of make a few course corrections. And I think that's what happened. And so beyond this conversation, which I think is super meaningful and very in-depth and really is illustrative of who Jay is and why I appreciate him so much and why I like him so much and why I think he's so cool. It also just kind of holds a special place in my heart because it's always going to be, you know, kind of long form snapshot of something that I think will remain uh, a very meaningful experience in my life. But Jay Byer has been influencing and kind of setting a standard for outdoor photography for the last 20 years or so. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet him a few years back and we just kind of instantly took a liking to each other and that developed into a really cool friendship and it's always fun to make friends as an adult and Jay is one of those relationships that I'm so thankful for and you know it's already paid dividends way beyond what I ever could have imagined. And I'm excited to see uh, what we have to talk about, you know, five and 10 years from now. So please enjoy this podcast with my friend, photographer, Jay Byer. Hey, welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. This week, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I'm joined by my friend, a photographer, skier, entrepreneur, adventurer, Jay Byer. We're in, a, we're in the shop that he built, I guess. Do you call this a shop or a garage? Man, I call it a garage, but yeah, it can go by many names. Yeah. All right. So we're in it's a garage. It's my happy place. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was difficult for me to hear, man. Um, but no, so we're in uh, Jay's garage that he built over the course of about a year, a year and a, about a year with your son. Yeah, like four months. 
and uh yeah surrounded by tons of hunting and skiing gear mountain bikes all sorts of cool stuff and a very adorable uh poodle pointer named stella is laying right here uh she's right in front of a curing chamber with some moldy salamis that are soon to be delicious charcuterie but uh yeah so i've been here in utah for the past few days elk hunting with jay he was kind enough to invite me up here and then proceeded to kick the shit out of me in these mountains for a few days uh but we were successful we'll talk about that a little bit but uh yeah just first of all man jay thank you so much for having me here in your home and around your family and you know, essentially guiding me on this super gnarly and really fun elk hunt, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming out. Pumped uh, to have you. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's been a it's kind of been a big deal for me. And in many different ways, I think I needed that hunt in my life right now. And I'm sure at some point I'll write about that. But, oh, no, I am writing about it because uh, we ended up doing this uh, hunt as a shoot for Sitka. And I've got to do a article that'll, I think, be out pretty soon. But, man... I could talk to you about all sorts of stuff and we've been talking about all sorts of things for the last few days, but man, I just think that the life you've created is something really, really special. Uh, I thought that before I came out here and got to see like your space and your meet your family and your son, Eli and your wife, Rachel, but now I'm even more impressed with it. And so that's kind of what this podcast is about. So I'd like to delve into that a little bit and uh, maybe let's, I'll just let you describe kind of what you do for a living, and then maybe we can talk about how you got into that because I think all of it is so unique and so interesting. Cool, man. Yeah, I I take pictures. I'm uh, a lucky human that gets to travel all over the world and hang out with lots of cool people and do fun things and take pictures of them. And, and in all sorts of realms, I, I started my career shooting mostly skiing and snowboarding, so just snow. And then that morphed into like my other hobbies, mountain biking and trail running and fly fishing. And, and then I kind of got back into hunting 15 years ago. And it was shortly after that, that uh, I got pulled into the hunting industry quickly. And that became a big chunk of what I shoot, what I work on year round. Um, but yeah, that's in the simplistic way. That's, that's my life. That's what I do. So when you say you're a photographer... Uh, I mean, there's lots of people, I mean, there's like wedding photographers, there's like the Sears portrait photographers where you put your arm up on like the, the carpeted block, right? Uh, in my mind, I would kind of describe you as like an adventure photographer, and I don't even know if that's an actual term or not. No, I think outdoor adventure would be, before I got into hunting, I think that's where people would put me, you know, an outdoor adventure photographer. Because I did, a, I mean, I used to shoot a lot of ice climbing and rock climbing and mountain climbing and all that stuff and so that was in like that climbing skiing mode it's kind of the outdoor adventure and then biking and trail running kind of got pushed into that and I was shooting fly fishing just because I fly fished my whole life I love it um and now I'm starting to learn like the underwater photography that's been kind of fun new project in the last year and so like that means when you see these these like gnarly pictures of you know, people that are doing these crazy backflips off of like wild mountains and like these remote locations. Like you're taking pictures like that, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, skiing crazy lines or snowboarding and then big jumps and, 
uh, deep powder in Japan. Yeah, like anything, anything. Yeah, that's interesting. Visually interesting, and that, and I really enjoyed traveling and traveling to unique places that have snow. I mean, I live in Utah, so this is one of the best places you can live on the planet for snow. Um, don't tell anyone, but it's it's a wonderful space, and and then. I spent a lot of time in Alaska. I grew up in Alaska, but I go there almost every spring to to shoot skiing up there because it's just a whole other place, a whole different kind of snow and what snow sticks to up there and how to shoot it is just a whole other realm and super fun and enjoyable to me. And then I normally do a Japan trip every year, which is like the deepest snow of anywhere consistently that you can get. So all these places, there's great days everywhere you can go for snow and for skiing or snowboarding. But but the difference in these three places I mentioned, Utah, Alaska, Japan, they're just so consistent every year, so consistently really good, and and you can plan on it. Because in my earlier years, I spent a lot of time in South America, and in South America, you never know what you're going to get. And you're down there for a month, and you might get one good day with good light and good snow conditions because it can be super warm, it can be really cold, and you just don't get that really good snow often. And sometimes it's a day and sometimes it's a whole trip, but way less consistent. And that's part of the fun of it. Um, it, was, it was a bit more of a struggle for me in those days because I was working on spec, which was, if you don't know what that is, a, you're, you're shooting stuff on the speculation of selling it down the road. So I would fund everything in the beginning and I would have to make up for what I sold on the back end. So I was funding my all my own trips. Now people pay me to go wherever I go and, and do whatever I do. So it was harder back then to go on a trip, pay all this money, and be like, okay, now I have to sell what I made. And if it wasn't a good trip, it's then it was like a just a bunch of lost money, you know, as opposed to someone client. You know, if a client sends you somewhere, you always do your best, but you sometimes you come home and you're like, well, I don't know what to, to tell you. This is what we ended up with, and you can't really complain about that. So. So who are the, uh, or like, what are some of the clients you have? Like who are the companies you work with and for? Um, there's not many these days. Uh, I narrowed it down cause I had, I, there was a point in time where I had a ton of clients and I've narrowed down to Patagonia who does what, what that's what I'm shooting. Mostly ski, snowboard, trail running, mountain biking, fly fishing. That's that client. Um, and they do clothing and then, uh, Sitka hunting clothing one of my very big clients yeti coolers and drinkware and then mystery ranch they make backpacks in all the different realms that i shoot from ski stuff they make fire stuff they make military stuff they make backpacking stuff and so i've been so i get to shoot year round for them kind of like how i do for patagonia okay uh Man, how did you get in? You've kind of told me this already, but like, describe to me how you got into this because it's, you know, it's one thing. So I think it's worth explaining too. Like you're you're really participating in all these activities that you're documenting. So like, if you're gonna be taking pictures of some really crazy, awesome ski jumping, like you're skiing up there, like you're humping it up into the mountain as well. Yeah, I'm not hitting the jumps. <laughs> not that part, but. Uh, the, everyone I work with is extremely talented and I feel very lucky to, to get to work with them. And, and it's, it's so fun to watch these amazing athletes do what they do. 
Um, and there are times like I have to get down the things that they ski. Obviously they do it very fast and, and aggressive and I do it very slow and I have a big heavy pack with a bunch of camera gear in it. But, um, yeah, I have to keep up and yeah. So you want to go into yeah, how I'd, I got into it? Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Story. Uh, it's, I think everyone kind of gets to anyone who ends up as a photographer has an interesting story. I never went to school for it. Um, my, my degree was elementary ed and I later got a degree in biology, but I, my wife bought a camera and we were living in Minnesota at the time and we were going to both quit our jobs and live in a van and just climb rocks all over the States. And so she bought a camera before that trip cause she wanted to document this trip that we were going to go on and not being super technically savvy. And my father was, uh, kind of an amateur photographer at the time and really into it before we left on this trip, we went home to kind of say bye. We didn't know when we were going to be back or where we we're going to end up. And, and so I talked to my dad and he showed me all this stuff about this camera so I could help Rach understand and get her going in this capacity of shooting photos. Uh, well, you fast forward to the end of the trip and the camera was mine and I was just taking, I was taking more photos than she was. She never, she never really took a lot of photos with it. And so it ended up as my camera and, and I was very fortunate in that, I mean, a lot of my friends are pretty amazing athletes in themselves. You know, when you start out in these realms, you kind of have to go with who you know and, and what you have around you. And so I would just take my camera with me on climbing trips and skiing trips. And every morning I would go out or every evening and when I go fishing and just take pictures of my friends. And I was just lucky enough that, man, what I thought looked cool in my pictures, people started picking up on and they thought it looked pretty cool too. And, and, and then obviously over the years, it's been refined quite a bit and, and I've gotten to work with some amazing athletes all over the globe. And, and yeah, that was kind of the, the beginning. Thanks to my wife. <laughs> yeah. Probably most of us that are lucky to have good wives can say that about a lot of stuff in our lives. Yep. Man, we talked about this. I don't remember. Yeah, I think maybe yesterday on the pack out, we talked about like the idea of artistry. And you seemed like slightly hesitant to describe yourself that way. But I would, I don't think there's any doubt that that's what you are and that's what you're doing as you're putting art into the world. So I'd be interested to hear a little bit about your your thought process when you're like composing these images. Because what I've noticed or what I've learned in the last couple of years, you know, as I've kind of gotten into this space or this industry or whatever, is I, I really didn't have, uh, I don't think I, I understood this type of photography to be art. Like I thought it was just documentation. And now I have a very different understanding of that, you know, like through working with you, or through like my wife Marianne is doing a bunch of photography and taking pictures of you know some of the for some of the articles and stuff that I'm writing and doing stuff in her own right as well. And uh, what I've seen through speaking with other photographers, like well-established people, is that to some degree, and please correct me if I'm wrong in this, but like to some degree, the the technical part of it can be you know learned or taught, but that it's it's super important for someone to have like the eye for it and uh, 
conceptualization of like textures and composition and, and all that. So how are you approaching, how are you approaching your photography and like what you're like, how are you trying to convey whatever it is you're trying to convey? Um, great question. Uh, it, it's to me at some point it's kind of second nature, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, but you kind of do, you learn a lot and just, there's a lot of trial and error in the beginning. Um, I read every book that I was available and that was relevant to what I was doing. So like I learned a lot of my technical skills just from reading books. And then what I sought out is, you know, like I, I wanted to, to capture moments that made people want to be there. Right. That's like my goal. Like I, anything that gets put out, I want someone to be like, man, that's what I want to be doing. That's where I want to be at, at any point in time. They see it and then like it stops. I'm like that's, that's your, in my mind, that's like the ending goal. And a lot of that is place and light and, and, and sometimes it's aspirational and sometimes it's attainable, but it's like the, having like that person or someone can put themselves in whoever subject I'm shooting shoes and be like that's where i want to be and for me it just comes down to now that i'm like go on these shoots like like with you or whoever like i just want to make whatever i'm doing look as like fun or dirty or gritty or whatever it is that i need to convey but still people want to put themselves in that spot and i always want to do it in as good a light as i can you know as good a conditions i can and good conditions doesn't necessarily mean like sunny day it can be like cloudy and rainy and gnarly out like like sheep hunts you know it's always like like it rains all day every day and every sheep hunt i've ever been on you know and that's good that's like the weather you want because that's what you want to portray that to me that's like the good weather or good situation to put yourself in to like create meaningful imagery and not everyone would want to be there but like the people who want to be there they can't they, they really want to be there you know so i don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. No, man, I think it does. Uh, you've mentioned several times already, just since we've been talking in this recording about light. So could I delve a little bit deeper into that? Because that's something I've been noticing is incredibly important to like these compositions and what really turns it from being just, I mean, it seems like that light is kind of like part of your paintbrush, you know? Or so oh, it, it is the entire paintbrush, right? And so you only have fleeting seconds at times to like compose what you want. Composition is the, is the, probably the toughest one, right? I'll, I'll, I'll get back into light too, but I think the composition is what separates people in the realm of photography. Cause you can get taught the, the whole technical side of you can understand how a camera works, you know, but if you can't consistently compose imagery that you're proud of or you're, your editor is proud of and and wants to print then that that's like the the difference in like making it a career or making it just fun for yourself you know um and and personally i think that a lot of that comes with knowing since i do everything i do outside right i don't i can't create the light and so what i have to do is use what i'm given and be it waking up early which is a lot in like the ski and snowboard realm is 
lots of hiking in the dark and getting somewhere for like the early light of the day or the best light of the day. And, and that I'm, I've never been that afraid of waking up earlier, putting the work in. I think that's been a, a part of why I was successful. Um, but yeah, the light is, it's everything, man. That's, that's what makes an exposure. That's what creates a photo. If you have bad light or you don't know how to use the light you have been given correctly to take that image, you know, that's a, there's a lot of trial and error, I suppose, involved, but you know, and then you work with like, like your contrast, you know, like when I started shooting hunting, it really threw me for a loop because if you don't really pay attention to the contrast of light and dark subjects and you're shooting a person in camo, it's really hard to see them. You know, you have to make a person in camo stand out without looking like they're standing out, you know, cause you don't, your client wouldn't want them to stand out, but you have to be able to see them and then you can't have them like disappear and still make it like a, a good image. You know, like that's a, that was a tough thing for me to put in the beginning, put light and dark subjects that are same tone together in a way that you, you can see them, but you don't really want to see them super well. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's kind of a weird, yeah, a weird dynamic, but it yeah. was really fun. You know, like I, a lot of that stuff I had, I enjoy like the, the challenge of it. Like when I shot my first whitetail hunt and I was just like, everyone just like sits in a tree. How do I do that differently? Like, what do I do? How do I, you know, it's sick of sent me on a whitetail hunt and I, man, I went and got every single whitetail publication I could find. I looked through everything and I'm like, well, I can, I had ideas, you know, like stuff that people weren't doing that I was able to take out of, you know, different realms of that I've worked in before. And, try to apply that to, to whitetail to try to make it look different than what everyone else is doing. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. You know, I want to try to stand out and create something unique, you know, cause that's truly what my job is. You know, I need, I need to go somewhere and make whatever else anyone else is doing, you know, try to make something that looks better than, than that, you know, or what's currently available. And that's not easy. That's a super big challenge, but that's also, I think, the enjoyable part of it. Do you think that you've gotten to a point where your images are recognizable as your images to me? <laughs> uh, and I don't know. That's a good, that would be a question probably for my editors better than me. You know, I, I think there's, there's some, um, I mean, there's people that copy you, but you copied people to get to where you are. You know, like there's many times I see like a, a photo in a magazine or a book and I'm like, well, I like that, but I would do, I would like this better. You see this concept, you're like, I want to take this concept, but I want to try Like I have, I have lists in my phone, different seasons and different activities and just photos that I want to shoot that I think are different that I've never seen. Like I'm driving and I'll like stop, pull over and like write down this duck hunting shot I want to get because it just like occurred to me and I'm like, that would be amazing if I can create that, you know? And so I have a list of that and hunting and biking and fishing and whatever. There's like the standard stuff you kind of like stick with for like a client, you know? And, but those are like the, like the bucket list shots that I, I want to get, you know, eventually they just stick in my head. I, man, I just thought, I just thought of this. Uh, would you ever, so like all of your work is really like you're, 
uh, you're doing it for clients. So you're doing it for these companies, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought or like considered or wanted to have a collection of your own? Like, I don't know, a coffee table book or something like that? Man, I've, I've been asked. I've been asked that quite a few times. I maybe at some point, you know, when I'm, when I feel like I just, I can't, there's nothing down there for me to chase anymore, you know? And I like, I feel like I've, I've done my career. Then I would feel like maybe that would be it. But like every time I do my website and a year later, I look at it and I'm like, why did I even put these up there? You know, you just feel like you're out. Cause it's once it's done, you don't feel like it's like you were saying about your albums, right? Yeah. yeah. Once you created that, you're like, I did that already. I want to find the next, the next thing. And like, I feel like I'm very much that way. And, and like shooting, like once I nail this, I'm like, sweet. All right. What's the next project? And they don't, I mean, I got like these ones in the garage, right? I like these are some of my favorite photos I've ever taken this year or last year, whenever they're taken. But like all oh, the long term, I could probably pick out five more every month, and depending on how I was feeling, they'd be they'd be different photos. So like, yeah, the coffee table book isn't appealing to me right now, but I think it'd be fun. I <laughs> I just don't know uh, from a business standpoint if that would make a lot of sense like i don't know if people would buy that or maybe they would maybe they wouldn't i don't know they would buy that jay <laughs> they would they would definitely buy that uh i would buy it you could sell at least one copy. <laughs> uh man i haven't even looked at this one right here that's a red picture that mountain biking one dude the fun part about that it, it's like uh this was this day was like 130 degrees out in southern utah in like july it looks dude just from the picture it looks like it's that's the temperature dude it was crazy and we went out there for an evening and a morning session and i brought like a sleeping bag i don't even know what because i in my mind i'm like well we're spending the night i need a sleeping bag and like we literally all just laid on top of like out in the open on the ground just like roasting all night but it was like the only time i could get down here and do this and i had like a 24-hour window and and that guy Jordan and my friend Karsten were the bikers and the thing I love about that shot is it so much reminds me of so many ski shots I take but it's with a bike like it's like the dude looks like he's skiing powder that gray dirt powder um but he's coming in and he's like smearing a turn like what skiers do but he's on a mountain bike and that's what I always dug about that and then there's the composition having that random rock brown rock and all this gray dirt was like visually very appealing to me you know and then like kind of all the lines are moving it yeah the lines of those those rivulets or those i don't know what do you call those valleys or gullies yeah yeah. they're all kind of running in the same direction Yeah, yeah that's actually been a fun thing we've talked about is the difference in terminology like from place to place like you know i really only recently in the last year or so really understood what uh a drainage was and it was when it was last year at Black Duck when I asked Matt McCormick and uh, he explained it to me and I was like, oh, it's a holler. You know, <laughs> he's just a big Which holler. Which is a way better word. <laughs> Holler's a great word, man. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because I've started to hear people in Arkansas talk about drainages 
And I'm like, man, you're only saying that because of meat eater. You know, <laughs> <laughs> one ever called these drainages before. These were man, that's all I've ever called it. Was it? Oh, you're saying in Arkansas? In Arkansas, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, yeah. And it's that's I just need to start doing around here, calling everything. Oh, back in that holler, dude. Yes. <laughs> Please do that, man. Uh, so this is. I think this is actually a good uh, segue into this, and then that might be a good segue to talk a little bit about the hunt, man. But. Uh, I'm struck by how physical your life is, right? Like you have an incredible, like everything you're doing has an incredibly uh, tangible and like tactile and physical component to it. Uh, And like, and I'd say like impressively. So like you keep referencing these athletes, man. Like I think you should probably be putting yourself in, in that category as like an athlete. I mean, even with your family, man, like what y'all are doing for fun you know, like a lot of people, their fun or entertainment is sedentary, you mm-hmm. know, and you guys are, you guys are mountain biking or you guys are skiing and you guys are going on these trips to do those things. Like you, like last year you took this really cool trip to this glacier and we're like skiing every day for two weeks with your family and like camping in a little tent in the freezing cold. Uh, you know, and I, I, I think I very much understand now that part of what sets your photography, you know, your art apart is your connection to that physical lifestyle and, uh, you know, your ability to perform. So that was a Galen. Do you know Galen Rowell? Have you ever heard that? Mm-mm. Galen Rowell was like the, the pioneer of like outdoor adventure photography. You know, he was like a climber and a skier and, and he's like probably one of the most well-known, like he also has amazing scenics and landscapes, which he's extremely well known for. He died uh, 15, 20, 10, 15 years ago. Regardless, he pioneered all kinds of techniques and, and stuff and was one of the originals. And that was his – one. Of, actually, his book was one of the first books I ever read. My dad gave it to me when I was first starting this out. I was like, you should read this book. And his theory was in order to shoot whatever you're shooting, you need – you have to be an active participant. You cannot understand skiing and capture it and portray it to everybody if it isn't part of your life. You can't capture hunting regularly, consistently if you're not a hunter. You know, if you're not a, you know, everything that I shoot, I'm an active participant in. And I and I and I agree with that. Like I think, yeah, you can be hired to do whatever. But if it isn't like your passion, like I think there's a, there's a chunk that you might be missing, you know, or you might not understand. Even when I started shooting waterfowl, right? Because that was a that was a new thing for me when I started working with Sitka, and I wasn't a duck hunter, and I and and I've learned so much since then. Even though I'm a horrible waterfowler at this point in my life, I still understand it way more than when I first started shooting it. Like I didn't I didn't know what a band was or why that was even there. And, I still struggle with calling, but like, and you learn more and the more you're immersed in, in an activity, you know, I think the more little things you can pick out that are intricate, that are unique to that activity. And therefore you can show those things or those things come out in your imagery, you know, because you understand it deeper, you know, so you're, you're, you're able to exploit that thing deeper just from a knowledge standpoint. So I interrupted you, but <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you're, you're talking about what I want you to talk about. Uh, 
But I mean, look, so even, but you're not living this, you're not living this lifestyle. I, I feel like, and I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you'd be doing all the same stuff if you weren't taking pictures of it for a living. Up oh, for sure. You know, it would be, yeah, it'd be a lot easier because I wouldn't have to carry cameras too. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, I do. I, I don't feel like my life would be that much different other than I get told, you know, you're going here to do this with this person, you know. Um, and in my time off, I do all the things that I shoot. I'd, you know, I hunt all the time. I bike all the time. I ski all the time. And, you know, yeah, fish. Uh, I mean, I, I would be doing everything that I'm doing. I'd probably be doing it less because I'd have to work a normal job. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have the amount of time to do all the things that I, that I love to do. So what, uh, So that's so that's something worth addressing. So there is a there's a purposefulness. That's not the right word. There's intention, which probably gets overused by me, but it's important to me, so I'm gonna keep saying it. So there's intention in this life that you've created, in this lifestyle, right? Uh have you spent much time thinking about why you've created like it's i'm super interested in like the idea of a of like a freelancer right or like a person like a freelancer is an entrepreneur but kind of in a different way and there's this to some degree like this little bit a, a little bit of a lack of stability that's kind of like inherent to it and and i think i i know why I, my life is set up that way you know, because I'm a person who, like, I've got to just keep poking, like, peeking over the mountaintop, you know, like, and, like, what's over there and what's over there. And, like, you know, I've I've actually, <laughs> I feel like one of the reasons I've done so many things in my life is because once I feel like I've gotten a handle on it, it doesn't interest me that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So, so, like, why have you built your life this way because you could work a regular job you could be you know teaching school or doing something like that and then going out and shredding the gnar or the pow the, all these terms i've been hearing <laughs> man i uh, i don't want to keep using the word luck but i you know i i'm able to right and i and I love all these things that I do, and I don't. And it, it wasn't intentional, you know, to do that. This is, I mean, I want to do everything I do, and I want to do it more, and it's fun, and I and I love it. But I, uh, man, I worked. I only worked a couple normal jobs, and I just knew I was different from like I was the weird one in my family mm -hmm. I was a weird one in every school I went to like I was just different I just saw things differently and I wasn't I wasn't good at conforming to what I was supposed to be doing if I didn't want to be doing it um when I worked as a carpenter was probably uh, as far as a normal job goes probably the most fulfilling for me um because I think because of the activity level right um and it was a, a daily sense of accomplishment, 
I mean, you know, building houses and remodeling kitchens and bathrooms and things. But I still worked for someone, you know. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't realize that at the time, but that's why I kind of kept flipping through different jobs because nothing was like... Then I hit this, and I didn't think I could ever make this a job. I just loved it. I loved taking pictures, and, and in the beginning... and. It, I remember telling one of my closest friends, like, if this would just pay for my trips, I'd be stoked, you know. I never thought of this as a career or a lifelong career, um, especially when you have, like, a one-year-old, you know. <laughs> like, and and luckily for me, my wife had our health insurance. But it, it turned into what it is because this is all stuff I love to do. And I, and I worked hard. I worked hard in the beginning and, and – when I thought I could do it as a career, when that finally occurred to me, I had one last job that I told them I would be there for a year, and I made it. It was the first desk job I'd ever had, and I made it like 10 months. Well, really, I, only, I made it six days, and I'm like, I made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I can't do this. I can't do this desk job thing, you know? I thought I could, but I just couldn't. Like, I just, it was like killing, just like I was dying every day and I loved it I loved the people and I loved the company and and all the friends that I made and all that was wonderful but like every day I had to work it was like I was dying inside and I just knew I couldn't do that so I had to figure out a way out and and I knew I'd made a year commitment but I just I made it 10 months and I couldn't I was just done and luckily my wife kind of set me up as like she wanted to work as a traveling nurse for a little while and um, she's like, well, I'll give you two years. You watch the kid. At the time, Eli was like one and a half, two years old. When I'm working and when, when, I'm, not, when I'm not working, I'll watch Eli and you go shoot photos. And I want to do this for about two years. So she's like, if you can't get your shit together in two years, then let's find something else for you. But if you can, then we'll see if this thing works. And I had a few clients at the time, but nothing was consistent, and money was never consistent. And we didn't. Have, we sold our house at the time, which I had fully remodeled, so we made a good chunk of money on that. And, and she was getting paid well, and we were getting our housing figured out. So like I could put my full mental effort in taking pictures, and I did. And and at the end of that two years, it was. I'd never worked a, a normal job after that. I would occasionally be run out of money and have time. Like I had a lot of time. And uh, and so I'd pick up a bathroom or, excuse me, a kitchen or something just to make some money on the side. And um, and then then it just turned into then my summers were packed with shoots and things to do and it became a legitimate career. Be, it might be the long-winded way of, I don't know, what, how that even started. <laughs> man, I don't uh, even remember the question, the initial <laughs> question. But it's all good stuff, so I'm into it, man. Uh, well, so, you know, I don't know that I even really quite realized until we were, like, sitting down here and recording it. Uh, but, so, you know, this is weird. So I'm going to talk about myself for just a moment here. But it's weird for me, and I've expressed to you a little bit, you know, uh, the last two years of my life have kind of been 
it's just weird and like changey and just me wrestling with like what I want and how I want to do it and all that stuff. Uh, and now I, I feel like I can say that I'm working in the outdoor industry. I, I think that's probably legitimate. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I had quite put together that I don't think any of that would have been happening without meeting you because like I met you in Arkansas when you were on a shoot for Sitka with Hank Shaw and I was just backing Hank up in the kitchen because I've known him for a long time and I live in Arkansas so like I'm the person he can call to chop his onions and do all that kind of stuff. The Trinity, that's when I learned about the Trinity. The Trinity, yeah. <laughs> it's not the Mirapol, it's the Trinity. Uh, and then we just ended up, because you were taking pictures of Hank and his food and stuff so we just ended up hanging out a bunch and talking and and then you were super generous and you gave me a bunch of your waterfowl kit. And I, dude, I took that stuff back in a trash bag, like one big trash bag. Probably because it stunk. <laughs> well, just because there was so much of it. And I, uh, I told Marion, I was like, oh, my God, holy shit. You know, like, I just got, like, all this Sitka stuff. Because Sitka was, like, aspirational, right, at that point in my life. Uh, I mean, it would still be aspirational if I wasn't, you know, working for them in some <laughs> regard. But I was just like, but I was really struck by the generosity of it, you know. Uh, and then, you know, long story short, you talk to people at Sitka and they talk to me and now I'm doing stuff with them and I'm super stoked and uh, dare I say blessed to be able to do it. But, You know, I, I guess I kind of wonder, and we talked about this a little bit, but it seems like that's part of what you're doing too. Like Justin over there in Hawaii or me or like different people. I don't know. It's, it's You're, you're almost kind of like a, you're like a talent scout or something, man. Or like <laughs> a, and, and, and it's interesting too because you're, and I'm seeing it with like your son and just like, me on this hunt like you're super kind and super generous man like very very much so but you're also like you want everybody to earn it you know what i mean like you'll help but you're not going to hold anybody's hand and you're not going to wipe their butt right so maybe this is just selfish and maybe it's just for me but you know i'm i'm kind of interested in like when you when you find these people who you're going to sprinkle, sprinkle some fairy dust on and like change their lives, like <laughs> what are you seeing in them? Or like, what are you attracted to? Or what do you dig about those folks? That's a good, I don't, it just makes sense. Right. Like when I met you, I was just like, yeah. so part of it is like, I've been at Sitka for a very, I've been working with Sitka for a very long time. And, and the direction that they've wanted to head which is showing more like the food aspect, which I'm, I'm very passionate about mm -hmm. food and cooking and especially wild game and, and my garden, how that all fits into eating and my daily life. And so everyone that I've met or tried to bring into the family, right. All has those, those similar traits, you know, they're all good people. They're all unique in their environments, you know, and they, well, obviously with Sitka, they're all hunters, but they're not just like killers, you know, 
they're very uh oh, what's the right word like kind with their the conscientious of their quarry mm-hmm. right they use as much as they can and they they enjoy and love cooking it and 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 want to be good stewards of the land and their local communities and and i think you know that, that's what Sitka, in, in my mind moving forward like those are the people we want to elevate so when i met like you i was just like this is the dude you know if we're gonna do these stories moving forward you're like the perfect position for that you know like Lindsay and justin like they're all like they embody that you know embody what maybe what sitka aspires to be right and so that's like, it was easy for me to like go back and be like, hey, I met this dude, Jonathan. We should work with him at some point in the future. He's got a really unique story. And I meet a lot of people like that. And sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. And that's fine. It kind of depends on marketing and their needs and their people and what the what they're after at some point in time. But but I pushed for you for a, <laughs> for a while. I was like, no, this one needs to happen because it's uh, – Justin wasn't me. Justin, uh, you know, I've done shoots with him, and he's become a very good friend as well. But um, but I'm not sure who, who – how he got out there and got, got into the things. But you were the one of ones I went back to and was like, yeah, this needs to happen. But, I mean, I, yeah. Do you guys embody the life – to me of what a hunter should be, you know, you know, uh, and that's who I feel like we should tell stories about. So that's why I bring it up. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for that, man. Like, thank you for doing that. Uh, cause I do think that it, I think it's had like a, I think it's had like a substantive, effect on my life and my family's life and you know like what I'm doing and what my wife's doing and how we can raise our children and stuff so uh I mean I'm actually kind of fatlimped you know as you would say in (laughs) Yiddish uh anyway man so we did all that we became buddies and then you invited me out here on this elk hunt for this it's a it's kind of like a long tag like there's a long opportunity for it this cow tag it's like October through the end well it starts so, so it's if you have the cow tag for I'm assuming your yours might be the same way, but for residents, you can hunt the cow tag during rifle bull season, right? So mm-hmm. if you're out there hunting a bull and you see a cow and you have the tag, you can take the cow. That's why that chunk of October's in there. But then I think they don't open the tag for and then it goes from like November to the end of January. You know? yeah. So you have like a three month session to to potentially kill a cow. Yeah. Which is so and like and you had described it to me as like a meat hunt right because there's not these i mean i'm right behind you is what you told me is not a big bull elk uh, skull <laughs> but it is an enormous like a rocking chair on a horse's skull uh eloquently silhouetting the american flag and uh and right underneath that a black duck revival uh, duck strip but so so i'll be totally honest with you man I was going to bail on this hunt like a month ago. I was like, dude, I'm gone. 
I've been gone a ton. It's wearing on my family. It's blah, 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 all these excuses, right? Uh, you know, not all these excuses. It was that, and then it was like, uh, I'm not, like, in great shape right now. I'm, like, been eating freaking honey buns and duck camp and <laughs> shit. And I was, I knew it was, you know, I've lived my entire life at, like, 250 feet of elevation. I knew the elevation was going to kick my ass. I knew the terrain was going to kick my ass. I don't think I knew how much the snow was going to kick my ass because it was, you know, a lot of times we were shin deep, knee deep. You know, we got yesterday into some almost waist deep stuff, man, which is just like trying to uh, work through. But I kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with myself about 10 days ago. And I was like, no, man, I was like, I want to go hang out with this dude. I want to do this hunt. I want to, I want to just, you know, make a course correction and just stop the bullshit that's making me not be where I want to be and go do this deal, man. So, and man, I'll tell you what, I'd say more than, more than a lot of other things in my life, it's like something I'm glad I did because it's been so, so cool. Like beyond like, there's been a lot of reasons it's been really cool. Uh, I think one of the best parts, man, has been hanging out with you and like seeing your family and seeing this community of people that are your friends and how you guys interact. And that's been really special and cool and like uh, gratifying to be around. And then getting to be in this physical environment. Like, man, I'm looking through the garage window over your neighbor's shed and I'm looking at a snowy mountaintop. It's almost like the antithesis of where I live. Like, you know, where I live... I'm spending all this time in bayous and stuff. You know, bayous are by nature very, very flat. It's like where a body of water ends and spreads out into the, into the terrestrial plane, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that. I was just telling you earlier, like, that's one of my favorite places to be. How deep is a bayou? Is there, like, a depth normal? I mean, it can depend, but, I mean, I'm floating through stuff that's a foot deep, two feet deep. You catch catfish in a foot deep water? Oh, hell yeah, man. Oh, really? Oh. I mean, now it'll pull out, so it'll, like, channel out and be, like, narrow. Sure. And then it'll pull out. But, like, I mean, the big stuff in those bayous, like the bowls where they kind of collect and then spread back out, I mean, might be, like, 12 feet. It's not deep at all. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's by nature. A bayou is flat. Yeah. Uh, but it's, man, it's, I think it's, I'm seeing more and more as I've been traveling this last year. Like, it's super important to see other places and to see how other people live and, you know, to see how other people hunt. Uh, cause I mean, I've got transferable hunting skills that I can take to different enterprises, but like, man, it was so hard. I feel like by the third day I was starting to be able to pick out elk, but like, you'd be like, you see those elk over there? And I'm like, I don't see these any elk. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Like, it just looks like these scrub oaks or these little bushes or whatever. Uh, I could see the moose. And we've seen a ton of moose. And that's what's been cool, too, man. I've seen all these things that I've never seen before. Like, we got to within, like, 10 yards of this big bull moose. We've been – I mean, the first two days, we could have killed, you know, 10 bull elk, but we didn't have a tag for it, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, and then – Those buck mule deer. Yeah. Those had been – those were, what, 50, 60 yards? Yeah, they yeah. were doable, man. Yeah. But, hell, I couldn't see those. You're like, they're right there, man. And I'm like, <laughs> what? But – uh and it's so weird because it's, and it's so, 
I actually really love the feeling of it because I've worked so hard to gain this sense of proficiency in my space and like my area, you know, and like I take people out all the time that are like they're blown away by the fact that I, I don't have to look up to tell you if it's a snow goose or a speck, you know, I can be inside the lodge with birds flying overhead and just hear little bits and be like, those are snow geese. Those aren't speckle bellies, you know, or I remember when I first started duck hunting, I was like, how would anybody ever be able to identify a bird on the wing? Oh, when I first started duck hunting, I felt the same way. I'm like, what do you mean? How they all look the same, you know, and then you start picking weird little intricacies out. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, their wings sound different and like the point of their butt feathers look different and the way the light shines off of them. And you can start tell size relative to this, that or the other Uh, without getting off on that too much. So it's been super I've just enjoyed being in an, like a new situation and I've really enjoyed being in an uncomfortable situation, you know, and like something that I had to push myself in. Like the first day we went up this little knoll. I mean, <laughs> when I first looked at it, I was like, how am I going to get up there? And then by the time I got up there, I had to stop like three times. I was sucking wind hard. And I told you, I was like, look, man, if I puke, just give me five minutes. <laughs> I thought I was going to puke. My head was just like swimming. Like I felt like half intoxicated dealing with this altitude. And then that kind of subsided. And then like the next, then the next day we like, we went up this thing called the Ridge of Death, you know, <laughs> and it uh, had crunchy snow on top and we were like post hole and like you step on the snow and you like punch down breakable crust dude breakable crust is the bane of yeah post hole it was hard man and it was uphill and so you're struggling against all of this stuff and in the midst of all that i'm struggling 10 times harder and i'm watching jay like essentially for most of these hunts i'm just looking at this guy's ass and he's sprinting ahead of me some of the best points were when I could tell you were like yesterday when I could tell you were like stopping and being like, Oh, I was like, okay, this guy's a human being. He's not, <laughs> he's not just a billy goat. Uh, but like, even with that, man, like it was really, really important for me. Like, and I told you, I was like, if I pass out and fall off this mountain, that's one thing, but I'm, I'm not leaving this thing with, with buyer being like, man, Wilkins, Wilkins <laughs> just quit. man. I mean, that's like, that was super important to me. And then yesterday, so yesterday I killed an elk, and the way we got to it, and I think the honestly the way I think the universe works is I think the reason that we killed that elk was because we kind of went the hardest way possible to get to it and got a different. Yeah, like when they talked to the other guys and they said which way we went in, and they were they didn't even like consider that as an option (laughs) to get after these elk. I thought it would be easier, but. It was hard, man. It was super hard, but that, but it worked. You know? Yeah, and I uh, just wanted to get ahead of them, right? And, and I knew, like, with you know, having you and been hunting with you for two days, I'm like, we need to be above them. You know, we're not going to catch these things going uphill. Yeah, yeah. We have to be above them. Have to be able to descend on top of them. And we can get above them. We just have to do it at night. We just have to hope they're there in, in the morning. You know. Yeah, and even still, man, when we were post holing along that ridge that was man that was that last four hundred to give up dude that last <laughs> I told you i wouldn't feet, have done it that had not been for you <laughs> dude and i'm so appreciative man and i got to a point where i could tell i could tell by the tracks that jay was having a crawl you know which, which honestly it made me feel way better 
because I was like, okay, this is hard. This isn't just me. Well, you get to that. There's a certain – so a breakable cross is like a really hard snow layer on top of a really weak snow layer. And when it gets to the point, like, it's not thick enough for you to stand on. Mm-hmm. And it's not thin enough for you to just walk through. At times when it gets really steep, you're better off crawling because then, like, your your foot – shin and knee almost act like a snowshoe and so you kind of have like six points of pressure on this thinner and it's way easier even though you're on your hands and knees crawling you're still burning less energy than like pushing through up to your you know your knee every single time and so you can't always do it that way but this certain crust allowed it and i remember when he called and i'm like hey dude you gotta crawl like do you see that because i figured you'd be able to see and tell about my tracks like what is this idiot doing? You know, and when you called me, I'm like, yeah, you got to crawl. You're like, oh yeah, I've been doing that. <laughs> I'm like, well, oh good, I'm glad you figured that out. <laughs> and the reason I the reason I called Jay is because he was like 20 minutes ahead of me, and uh, which was the right thing to do because like I just followed his footprints up this thing, and he got up on top of the ridge first and was glassing for elk, and I just struggled my way up there. Uh, but man, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Let's describe that hunt just a little bit, and uh, I'll interject if I feel the need to. Uh, but why don't you try and describe it a little bit? The day you killed, or everything, or what do you? Yeah, man, you can maybe do like a brief uh, overview because we kept getting close. Like the first day, we were on them, right? And then the second day, we were on them, and it just, it, you know, it stopped. It just didn't happen. And then the third day, we just busted our asses and did it. And then it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And we just kept going. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. And then it happened. Yeah. Well, start out. There's this holler. I like to hunt. <laughs> the holler. <laughs> uh, and I've been very successful in, over the years with myself and with lots of other people, helping a lot of people get their first elk. And, and me, like, that's where I kind of cut my teeth rifle hunting for elk and so we're in the so i know this area quite well you drew the tag and so our first day out we're kind of going up one side of this holler and then i saw some elk on the other side and i knew like i could sit tell two of them were bulls but we weren't quite sure and i was pretty sure that one wasn't a cow i didn't bring like i have a little spotter that i like to bring with me occasionally to, for this exact reason and i didn't have it with because i'm like ah whatever we'll be fine we don't need it and so we drop all the way down to the bottom, go all the way up the other side, get, what was that shot, 250-ish? Yeah. And we got 250 yards from these things, and we're just waiting for them to stand up. We waited and waited and waited, and finally they stood up, and they all ended up being bulls. And so it was, like, kind of defeating, but kind of good, because you don't, you don't want it. well, not that you don't want to see it on the first night, but, like, it kind of hurts the experience of, you know, you just – crush on the first day like you don't get a full as big a picture as you would if you were hunting somewhere yeah, for a and few it's days. cool for someone that's never seen that to see these yeah i mean they're amazing they're like yeah. bull elk are in my mind one of the most majestic things you can watch so like yeah we didn't get to kill anything but like it was still gorgeous and it was amazing and um and we had a good time we hike out in the dark by headlamp back to the truck um it was an evening hunt um and then the next morning we get up early um we get out and we go up this ridge of death we referred to earlier and and uh i've killed lots of elk on that ridge and it's always 
I kind of say like if you if you'd walk that ridge five days in a row, you'll have an opportunity at an elk, you know. And we we the cross got so bad, and then my buddy killed <laughs> not too far away and called me. And I'm like, yeah, we'll come out, but I just want to get, I want to check this one face out to just see. And we got up there and there was nothing up there. And so it was a little defeating. We saw elk there the night before. So I thought we were doing the right thing and we we're going to get on top of them. And we ended up with a later start than we had planned. And the post holing and breakable cross were so horrible. We didn't quite get up as soon as we needed to. Um, so um, it just didn't work that day. So we, we did the right thing. We went out. And we're on the way to go out my buddy, and then he spotted these three cows, you know, in the sagebrush, or in the scrub oak. And we're like, sweet. So instead of helping him, he's butchering a cow. We had another couple buddies come up and help him. We go to try to get on these ones. We got probably 50 yards 50 from yards from them? Yeah. We're like eight yards from like this huge bull moose that was bedded and just like raking his horns and doing his own thing. and. And we thought there were cows until I had my spotter this time. <laughs> yeah, and I looked at them and I, and I think in my mind because they thought there were cows, they didn't look that hard at them. And when they all stood up, they were all bulls. And so I'm like, oh, not this again. And this is after a pretty big day. And my buddy's got the elk back to the truck, and we were going to go out, but then we kind of ended up not going out. Yeah, that I was I was wrecked. I was <laughs> I was absolutely wrecked, and I thought I could like get something to eat and. In an hour, I'd be fine. And then when I, like, kind of cooled down, I was like, oh, dude, I'm wrecked. And then I had, like, there just, like, some work things came up. And I really, man, I debated about whether to say anything. And then finally I was like, man, <laughs> like, I'm beat down, dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. But then we went out. We were going to glassing that night. And uh, we saw a herd of cows, which we ended up spotting. And I counted 89 and it's in this holler that I don't like hunting because it gets a lot of traffic, a lot of public that, um, it's all public, but there's a lot of people that hunt there on the lower reaches of the canyon. Can and, be, and we were going to have to, we had been hunting during the week and we were going to have to hunt that day. At, yeah, this is a Saturday. Saturday morning. Well, yesterday morning was Saturday morning. So that was one of those, like, I knew there was going to be people, but 90 cows is pretty hard to pass up. Yeah. So we came up with a plan. A dumb plan to hike up this big peak and drop in on top of all these cows, or most people come up the bottom. And I, at one point, because after that, before we got out of that gully, mm -hmm. and we're kind of traversing that hillside, man, the walking was really easy. Yeah. It was almost better because, like, the snow would, like, hold your foot. You weren't, it wasn't, like, hard side hilling, and it was, like, super easy. And then the pitch turned, and it got a little more north-facing. And then it got deep. <laughs> yeah. And there was that crust on top. And you're breaking through to your waist at times, your crotch. And I was just like, man. And all I, <laughs> in my head, I was just like, I got to punch this in for you. <laughs> like, it, he's out here. I convinced him to come out here. You know, I know we're going to get to the top and there's going to be, there's going to be elk. They're going to be right there. Like, I know they're, I knew they're going to be right there. That's awesome because the whole time I'm thinking like I gotta do this for Jay like I cannot <laughs> I cannot let this dude down. <laughs> so we, I punch at the top 
and like immediately put my bonnets in the face. Like I crawled to the, I didn't crawl cause I needed to crawl. I crawled to stay low cause I thought they could be right here, you know, right where we want them to be. And, uh, and, uh, I got up there and I crawled right up to some scrub. And so I stood up and I glass and I just see these huge elk trenches leaving this drainage, this holler. And, uh, I was just like, my heart just sank at that moment. Like, I'm just like, oh no, they're all gone. They left, they fed out of here in the night and they moved on. And I glassed around, you could see where they had been feeding and eating the night before. And I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> like, what did I make Jonathan do? I'm like, he's going to be destroyed. <laughs> we only have two more days. Uh, and that sounds like, well, it was getting really pretty out. And I'm like, oh. Worst case scenarios, we take some beautiful photos, you know. Um, so I had a little bit of time, so I'm, I kept looking around. I'm like, God, there's got to be elk somewhere. And I did 300. Dude, I glassed everything, you know, every direction. Yeah, you had plenty of time. Because <laughs> I was still coming. <laughs> I had a little bit of time. And then I see it ended up being 12 right below us. So we were in like the – we had to move. Like once he got to the ridge, we maybe had to move – a hundred yards and these things would have fed up to probably a hundred to 200 yard shot. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be perfect. And that's when I texted you. And that's when you called me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I see him, dude. You're like, I'm almost there, man. I'm going to make it. I'm like, just crawl, crawl. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you get to the top and we're kind of coming up with a plan. And then someone from the bottom came up from the bottom and started shooting at him. And I'm like, Oh, and they started moving quickly towards us. And I'm like, we need to move. So we wrap around this little peak and we try to get it. And, man, the closest we could get is 450, I think. Was it? Was yeah, three, like four, yeah. It was something. It was like not a not a safe shot and nor a shot either one of us wanted you to take. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was not capable of taking that shot. So, uh, and they were moving. Uh, but there was a thought there was a thought for a little bit for me i'm like well if they come around this side of the ridge we're gonna have a shot but they chose to go on the other side of the ridge and so like now we're like well we should follow them because as they they left the ridge we were because we they kind of pinned us we had to cross this big opening would, would to get to where we wanted to take a shot from which would have been great but we were pinned now in the open and when they came they could see us so we couldn't move towards them so once they disappeared over this ridge um we kind of hauled ass after them to get to this ridge and when i got over that ridge where there was nothing i'm like ah oh, come on and then they were going over one more and you got up and we took a couple photos and i'm like i think we should let's keep following these tracks like they looked comfortable like, i don't think they're going to continue going you know and who knows what happened to them but we followed their tracks and came around this one point and i couldn't see much so i glassed around and i see what was that number it was like 50 yeah like 50 60 elk right below well below us like 500 yards and i'm like oh i didn't find these ones but there's more you know and i range them and you come up to me and we kind of have like a little discussion and trying to figure out like how, what our move and i'm just like i think we're gonna be great dude they're just gonna we're gonna meet weasel out here and and i literally thought they would come right at that opening that was like 150 yards away from us yeah, yeah. i really thought they were gonna feed up to that and then bed in that opening in the sun i really thought they were gonna do that and then people started shooting at him, um, and and shooting at him, and uh, shooting. It at was him. ridiculous and like unethical shot. It was that's what really infuriates me, you know. 
Like I, I, I know there are people who can shoot long range, and I don't fault them for it. But most long range shooters need one bullet. You yeah, know? you don't shoot twenty. Yeah, and that's <laughs> so what clearly what on. they were doing was unethical. Yeah, they were just pulling the trigger and hoping. And then there was another group on the other side of them doing it. So at that point in time, I'm like, oh man, we're directly above these things. They're going to come running up this ridge right at us. And they didn't. <laughs> they just started laying down and bedding for the day. Because I think they're just like, well, none of these idiots can get at us. We're good right here. <laughs> and it was like really deep snow. And that's and it's, yeah. it's hard for us to move in and it's hard for them to move in yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So I think they just didn't. There was, a, there was about 15 or 20 that started moving in our direction. And I kept getting closer and closer. And it was like, well, we might get a shot on these ones. And when you try to get your rifle dialed up in that tree and so I've just never been a big fan of that shot. And I was like, Hey man, can you just try like laying down on your pack and like getting like real stable and you lay down and you're like, man, this is way more stable than that tree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, it was, it was slightly uncomfortable because I was pointed downhill. Yeah. A little like bit. if you're not like a mountain hunter, like laying downhill, shooting downhill on a rifle is like a, not something people do regularly. Yeah. Right? It's an, like a, not a, maybe not a normal thing you would do. And, uh, and, but you took your, we had nothing but time. They weren't going anywhere. They weren't spooked. The other people had quit shooting. So they had chilled out and they had just kind of spread out and they were starting to eat. And I'm like, man, dude, if they make it to the little sun spot, they're at 280. I'm like, do you feel comfortable with that? And you're like, yeah, I think I feel comfortable. Like just take your time and no hurry. And I'm just like, just let me know before you take a shot so I can watch the one you want to, you're going to start shooting at. Cause elk are just, man, they're just notorious badasses and what they can take case in point. You tell me which one you're looking for. I'm watching it. You shoot nothing. I'm watching you shoot again. Nothing. You, <laughs> you look at me and did I hit it? I'm like, man, I don't know. Yeah, I said, what do you think? And you said, it's still alive. Yeah, it's still standing. And like what I was taught, what I taught my son, I taught my wife, and if an elk's head's still up, you keep shooting. Like that, they're so tough. And then I'm watching, and you had two shots down, and so the herd started moving away, but that one was staying still. And I'm like, well, you clearly hit it, but it's also still alive. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, shoot again. You shot again, nothing. I'm like, huh, something's happening. I just can't see it, you know. And then it laid down. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a good sign, but its head's still up. And this is all in a period of maximum a minute. Yeah. Know, right. Four shot. Boom. I'm like, I don't know, dude. And then you're like, should I shoot it again? And then I watched it, cow, like, were you watching that when that happened through yeah. your scope? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, should I shoot it again? And I saw it put its neck up, leaned its neck way back in the air. And I'm like, no, 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 you're good. And then laid its head down. It was done. And I was like, okay, so we don't, we're going to need to come and investigate what ended up happening. Which I think, I think you only missed once. You'd for sure hit it the first time. And it was like, back, it was quartering away and it was back lung exiting low gut. So like, it was dead after the first shot. Yeah, it was which is like why it, was it, three le- it was three lethal shots. Yes, three fully lethal shots. It just is. It just is amazing to me that they can just sit there and take that like a deer would jump. 
excuse me, or mule kick or something. Like you would be able to tell like, oh no, you hit that thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But, uh, but this thing just stood there and took it, which I've seen so many times. And it's like, you never even know, like, how do I, you know, did I hit that thing? Did I not hit that thing? So it's just super impressive, but yeah, you did great. Um, yeah. Killed the biggest animal you've ever killed before. Yeah. Yeah. We took every single scrap of meat off that thing outside of my kills. That was probably the cleanest thing I've ever seen. What was your saying? I'm, I'm, I'm happiest if I don't leave anything for the buzzards. For the I buzzards, want the buzzards man. to be pissed off when they get here. <laughs> yeah, dude. And yeah, man, they, I mean, we went through that thing. Uh, it got, yeah, we went through that thing. There was, there was not really anything left. Yeah, dude, cheek meat. I've never. <laughs> You've never seen anyone take the cheek no, meat? No, I do have fish all the time and it's so tiny, right? Like every time you always take cheeks out of every fish. It's yeah. the best part, you know, but I've never seen take it. I've never even considered the amount of meat I've carved off of elk heads and deer heads to Euro mount them. I've never considered like taking that chunk of cheek meat off. You know, I can take tongs. I always yeah. take tongs. I love tongue. But that was it was kind of a comical thing. I'm like, oh, huh, that's something I've never done before. <laughs> well, and and two, man, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like, one, that's something I do. But you know, it's like we were talking about. We had another conversation. We don't need to go into about class and all that stuff. Like, you know, why you want to conduct yourself with class? Like, part of that too. And I, I told you that part of that for me is like my legacy. Like, what are people going to say about me? when I'm gone or when I'm not hanging out with them. Right. And like, that's part of that too. Like, you know, I want like come out of this hunt, man. I want you to, I, I'm what I'm hoping for is you saying, man, I had a great time with this dude. Uh, he busted his ass, you know, like he did something that was hard for him and he used every single bit of that animal that he could possibly do, you know, cause it, yep, those are all true things. Well, I'm glad man. Cause then I, <laughs> I mean, then I feel like, because part of that too is like, that's a way to show appreciation for you and you take opening your home and you taking the time out of your schedule for this and all of that. Uh, but yeah, man, you like, you asked me how stoked I was about it and it kind of took a while for it to all set in because to me, it was such an example of the kill being anticlimactic. Not that it wasn't, not that it wasn't like super cool to, to com- kind of complete that part of it. But that wasn't even the end of it. You know, like, we were still, we had to hump down to get to that elk. And then. It's nuts, but uh, 300 yards when it's it was a little valley in between. Yeah, it was scrub And there's oaks. snow up to your waist and scrub oak. Yeah. It, it takes a little bit. Like, you're kind of, like, floored, like, oh, we're going to be there in, like, two minutes. And it's, like, nope. you know, 15, 20 minutes later, you're rolling up on it. And then it's a big animal. And, you, you know, it's you got to manhandle it and work with it where it's at. You're not dragging it out. And then we loaded up those packs and had to go back across this gully and get up the side of this hill onto this onto this ridge uh and like that whole time I'm I'm still soaking up the entire experience of it you know and then what was real cool is we got to the end of it and you had two buddies which I love that you have this community of folks that when someone kills an elk like people drop what they're doing and they come help get it out because it's hard work and uh Eddie and Eric came and they came in on like skis which was super cool to watch. And like, I mean, cause man, when I had half of that elk on my back and we were going on pill, I was like, Oh man, this is going to be hard. <laughs> but we had that little bit of hill. I li- that was very, what went through my head. I'm like, man, 
you can't pack out an elk and not have like a little bit of uphill. Like it's, you gotta understand, like the like it's it's so much work. It's very like I love it, but it's like man, you gotta understand what's like up a little bit of hill, you know? No, I probably could have made a different way, but I'm like this seems like a less scrub oak, which to me is less work than. I'd rather go uphill and avoid scrub oak than downhill through scrub oak. <laughs> well, you know, I was kind of, I was, I liked this scrub oak because I could hold on to it and pull myself <laughs> up. Uh, but yeah, then those dudes met us and we all like, so then instead of two of us, two of us carrying it out, it was four of us. And, uh, you know, it was, I mean, it felt great. Like, even though you still had a load on your back, it felt like you took a four-year-old off your back, you know, yeah. and we spread it out. And I mean, it still took what? At least another hour longer to get out of there. Man, I, even when we hit the flat, I was floored at how long it took. Like I said, I'd, I'd, I'd never killed one in that hauler before. So I mean, it was it far was, back, man. It was, a, it was probably the deepest cow I've ever been a part of removing from the mountains. Like it was, it was de- even, <laughs> I told you that yesterday when that first herd didn't work out, I was kind of like, well, this is a long ways back in there. I don't know, we don't have to deal with packing it out that that farther. And, but as soon as we got another work, that like that didn't even cross my mind. It's like, oh no, there's more. Let's go get them, you know, which are even deeper. <laughs> yeah, and it, man, it had all of it, and it was like, and what was so wild about it too is the whole way in, like I'm barely wearing anything. Like I'm just wearing this super thin layer on top because you're exerting yourself so much. Like your, your body's just a furnace. But then as soon as we stopped and we were like trying to figure out what to do and we were waiting, like we we're both just like, it's super cold. We're, we were like at 7,100 feet elevation sitting in feet of snow. And like the gloves I had on had become thoroughly soaked from crawling through the snow. <laughs> you know, I'm freezing. Uh, I have to like get out and put a puffy on and I'm like sitting there flexing my muscles, trying to get the shivering to stop so I can take a shot. And uh, my hands were killing me. And that's when I reached in the pack and pulled out a pair of truck gloves. <laughs> Warmed me to the core and let me make that shot. Truck gloves. Go truck yourself. Uh, but, yeah, man. And then it was just like the best feeling ever. We came back. You know, like getting those boots off my feet felt great, man, because <laughs> my feet were killing me, dog. And got cleaned up and just like, ate pizza and like hung out with your family and your friend and watched football. And I mean, I haven't been up past nine o'clock the last two days. Cause I'm just like destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I was, I was trying to be polite. I could have gone to sleep yesterday at five o'clock and that, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but man, it's, it's kind of amazing. And that's really what I've been missing is that like, dude, you're using every part of yourself to do that hunt. Uh, I've absolutely come out of this experience with a, a, a totally re, reestablished and not reestablished, establishing a real respect for Western hunting because I think that I thought it was, I think I thought it was folks like, you know, they, they hump it hard for two weeks out of the year and like that's what they do and that's their hunting. They burn their vacation time for it. And I thought maybe I was in like some, some sort of like more righteous position because I'm living this lifestyle where I'm like doing it all year round. But like I come, I've come out of this with such a 
better understanding about it. It's like, dude, the only way, the only way you're going to do that kind of hunt or like, I can't even imagine when it's warm and you're trying to get 30 yards away from these animals and do it in early season. Like you have to live that year round to be able to perform in those conditions, you know, like to be able to hammer up after them and beat them and you see them and then you, you know, get over there. Like it's, it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can adjust to the elevation and like, I mean, you're not, you're not puking cause you walk up a flight of stairs. Like I was feeling, but, uh, man, I, I really did. I thought about that a lot while I was, you know, looking at your footsteps going up mountains. It was like, man, I, I have a ton of respect for this, this style of hunting. And, uh, I felt like too, man, it was a really great way to, for me, it was a great way to like take account of myself, you know? And I found many ways where I was lacking and like, nobody wants to feel that way. Like you want to feel like you're the baddest dude on planet earth, but uh, <laughs> it's not always the case. Though, it's, right? No, man. And, and dude, like lying to yourself and believing your own bullshit is like one of the worst things someone can do. Yeah. And that's kind of what I told you. Like I wanted to come out here and hang out with you. And I also just wanted to get my ass thoroughly kicked, which it wasn't kicked. I had some reserves left. Like I feel like I could still function, but it was a good whooping, man. It really <laughs> was a real good whooping. Uh, and, and I think that might be my favorite part of it, man, is that, I've always kind of lived a life where I was getting that whooping from work. And in the last year and a half, it's been kind of the first time where I wasn't getting that. And, and I've, I've really been trying to figure out like how to incorporate it back into my life. And I think I had developed this mindset, you know, that people that were creating physical strife in their life were like cheating or they weren't like real ones. You know, I'm like, man, I'm up here hauling shingles or whatever, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to a class, and you know, doing battle ropes, and then, fi- you know, like, finding this hunt that's hard for no damn reason. Uh, and I've, I've got a totally different point of view about it, which I'm stoked about, because it's great to find places when you're wrong, you know. And I was wrong about some of my assessments, and, and you know, some of it's going to be how you do it. And how you go after it, because we saw plenty of people that like they're not they're not willing to put that in to go get an animal, you know. No, and some people aren't, and they're. I mean, and that's fine, right? That everyone has their own their own way, their own desire to do stuff. But it, man, it was it was fulfilling in a different way because of that. And I, like I said, I love that hunt so much, man. I was, uh, and to be able, to, like, I love showing people that hunt. Like it's one of my favorite things to do. I try to try to take someone new every year, man. It was nice with you because a lot of times it's new hunters. <laughs> it's so much nicer when I don't have to do everything, you know. Yeah, like yeah. I don't, ha- I don't have to worry about you and your rifle. It's like, yeah, you just take the shot, you know. Like you're good. Yeah, if I can get there. Yeah, <laughs> you got there. Hey, I did, man. You know, slow and steady, man. I was, I was thinking about like the tortoise and the hare the whole way up. I had, man, I thought about a lot of stuff. You had lots of time, uh, but like the best parts of it were when, you know, like the first day you were kind of trying to like stay with me, and then I think you were like, dude, if I stay with this dude, like, I, I, his pace is 
frustrating for me. So I'm just going to go ahead and get where I need to be and let this guy get there. And that was great because then I wasn't trying to keep up with you. I was just – Yeah, I told you, man, go at your own pace. And I, there's part of me that's just like I'm going to be more of a benefit if I get up there and I can, like, find him and look around and, like – I don't know. In my head, I was just like, it makes more sense for me to get no, up there. It was the right. It was the right call, man. And uh, yeah, no, it worked out. It worked out great. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, man. Seriously, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Jay. That was a. Uh, I feel like you might. I mean, you God, you're just gonna be responsible for all these course corrections in my life. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have another child to name them Jay. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Marianne. <laughs> Who said I was having a child with Marianne? <laughs> okay, no, I'm, that's a joke, dear. Uh, I'm trying to think about the best way to wrap this up, man. Uh, so tonight we're going to we're going to have like a shared meal with your family and friends, and uh, you know, like I brought some speckle belly geese up here, and we've like had a pot of stock going for three days, just concentrating and. Uh, it's going to have like upland birds that you've hunted and uh, oh we didn't even talk about that we went out this morning and yeah we're gonna have a- had this cool duck hunt man like hunting this little skinny water uh up in the mountains and there's i mean we were post holing through snow to get to this spot and then uh it's gonna be your new favorite thing to do you're gonna have to <laughs> find a way to go post holing in arkansas oh <laughs> uh, well we can do it there it's just in mud man uh and I killed my first golden eye because, you know, normally I'm killing uh, dabbling ducks. I don't really kill divers very much. And and that was super fun. And just, I mean, I'm standing there, just kill a duck, and I'm standing there looking up on the side of a mountain, and there's, like, a cow moose and a calf. So I heard of elk this morning. Yeah. I heard elk while we were sitting in the blind. Yeah, drinking coffee. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was super cool, man. Uh, but that's going to go in the in the gumbo tonight, right? Yeah. You can put those yeah, ducks I'll in. Yeah, I'll put that golden eye in there and uh, – yeah, man, it's it's gonna a be a pig. Real... A pig I shot. Oh, in that's right. Yeah, I'm gonna put some pig from. It'll be fun. It'll be a yeah critter stew. That's what gumbo's <laughs> supposed to be, man. Yeah. It's like whatever you got, and we're just super lucky that we have all sorts of things to put in it. But uh, and man, it kind of worked out perfect because I can I can kind of jet home a day early and spend an extra day with my family because you know December and January have suddenly turned to in my life to where like I'm not home mm-hmm. uh, and I've got little little girls that I miss and a wife that I miss and that I'm sure would like me to help wipe butts and, you know, handle nap time and stuff. So, uh, and man, it's, I mean, it's, it really has been probably, you know, one of the better, one of the best trips I've ever taken in my life, man. I'm just so appreciative of everything you've been willing to share with me. And, uh, yeah, thanks a bunch, dude. It's, it's, it's just a, this has been a pleasure. It's a, Pleasure to know you and get to be your friend and all that stuff, man. Man, likewise. It was so fun. I'm glad you came out. Yeah, you know, it's been a ball, man. You might have trouble keeping me away from, from Utah. <laughs> You're now. welcome anytime, man. I told you. Uh, well, yeah, man. So, in conclusion, you know, I always ask people this, but like how how can – what's the best way for folks to see your work and keep track of what you're doing or holler at you if they've – got a magical opportunity for you um yeah my uh instagram's probably the best um which i think is just jbuyer.com j-a-y-b-e-y-e-r or not.com just j-a-y-b-e-y-r on instagram it's jbuyer imaging 
Is it J Buyer Imaging? Yeah. Uh, my website's jbuyer.com. J Buyer Imaging on Instagram. J, J Buyer is my email. Um, anyone get a hold of me? Any of those places? And then, yeah, they can see your work in Patagonia yep. and Yeti stuff, lots of Sitka stuff. Yep, Mr. Ranch. Yep, all those. Those are my, those are my, those are the people that keep meat on the table. Those guys. Yeah, literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, well, man, again, man, thank you so much. And thanks for doing the podcast. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. If you like what you're listening to, please help us out. Leave a five-star review, subscribe, and a written review always helps tremendously as well. You can also tell a friend or post on social media about the podcast. That kind of goes into the ether and the zeitgeist, and you never know who will tune in because of it. If you want to keep up with me, uh, what I'm doing, and all things Black Duck Revival, please check me out on social media. It's just Black Duck Revival. Or go to the website, blackduckrevival.com. Here in the coming weeks, we'll be opening the books for catfish excursions. That's uh, limb lining, trot lining, bird watching, all those things in the bayous and backwaters of East Arkansas. That'll be taking place in the spring and early summer of this year. And we'll also be releasing the handful of dates for uh, duck and goose hunt schools coming later at the end of this year and into the beginning of next year so if you want to know what's going on with that please check out the website Uh, there's an email list on there you can sign up for and if you're on the email list you'll get notified about those dates a few days before everybody else does on social media so until next time thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you later